all of our thoughts from the statue community go out to Aaron Buckley, who is currently uh, in hospital with some um, difficulties. Uh, we're all hoping he pulls through, but uh, he's in a rough place at the moment, and we'll hope that he does well. Aaron's one of the Northern Irish guys for WC. He's uh, been at a few events. Um, it was his first year this year. He was all super excited to do it. We're all super glad to meet him, and uh, yeah, we're all rooting for you, Aaron. Good luck, buddy. Welcome to episode 9 of Stat Check. Uh, this episode is called Leaks of Votan. As you might have noticed, uh, I'm Ennis, I'm still here, uh, and they won't let me leave. Please, somebody, <laughs> send help. I am Blink joined... twice if you need to be rescued, Ennis. Blink twice. <laughs> uh, I am joined, as occasionally, by Nathan uh, of Nathaning. I am not joined <laughs> this week by Anthony, because Anthony <laughs> is feeling a little under the weather, and is going to take a respite this week. So uh, I think it's my turn to be off next week, uh, based on the current trajectory. So we'll see what happens. Um, I'll probably be here. I, I hate myself enough to keep doing this at this time of night. So, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ines. I am Nathan of the Dr. Stats Dad Persuasion. Um, and I was not here last week. I'm replacing Anthony this week in the group of people who make sure that Ines doesn't go totally off the rails. And it's apparently a terrible job. I know. I've done a terrible job so far, especially because in the background, Jeremy had to step in and hit the music button because I didn't know which button did the music to do the intro section. Was that, was that Jeremy? Okay, I'm, I'm, somebody's. I'm pretty sure it was Jeremy who had to had to pop in. So this week, as Anna said, it's leaks of Votan because we're going to talk about some Votan. We're probably not much because Anthony's not here and Anthony's the one who's really dug into those rules. But yep. um, yeah, we're definitely we can... we'll talk with him a little bit. Otherwise, we're going to talk about Rings of Power, is what I've been told. Yeah, so agenda this week, we got Rings of Power, very, very important. Leagues of Votan, don't really care. Um, mostly, mostly just Rings of Power. Uh, we're also going to talk about Rings of Power, uh, the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon Prime, Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about some 40k stats as well. We I, went to an, I went to an event, um, Nova happened, uh, and... LGT's coming up pretty soon, and that's probably a pretty big deal. So we are going to talk about all talk these about things all and more about Lord of the Rings. Yep. Sounds about good. Yeah. So how was your weekend, Ness? I'm going to make you go first. Yeah, it was really good, actually. Uh, I think I was speaking about this last week. I put myself through the Herculean effort of painting a lot of Jean Circle in a weekend, which I did manage somehow. Uh, I'm still not entirely sure how I got through it, but I painted 40 neophytes, 16 bikes, 6 wolf quads, 4... Uh, four acolytes and two rock grinders in two days. Um, they're not good, but they are technically battle ready and based and all that good stuff. Some of it arrived on the Monday evening. It was being built while I was like in between episodes. It was, it was horrible. I really don't recommend it. But it was really good fun to play. Uh, I played at the Uncomfortable Invitational this weekend. Um, so I played five solid games against five people who had gone undefeated at the UKT series events. Um, I managed to win the first two games. I ended up dropping my third game, which is on stream. You can uh, see that on the, War on the Warhammer Tournament's Facebook page. 
uh, I decided to play way too aggressively into a customs list and got promptly punished when he decided to, he rolled very good four pluses on his turn. I rolled not great damage output. Uh, and then he put me in the hole, um, and I gave myself that loss condition. I think I could have played that game a lot cleaner with a little more experience, but that's what it's good for. But that was the game that was on stream, so it's the one game of the weekend I lost. I got to put on stream, which always sings a little bit because you're like, oh, God, any of the other ones, it would have been fine. Um, so I played uh, Custodies and Guard in game one against the Baneblade, which I did zero damage to because... Why would, you, why would you even bother trying to kill that thing as GSC? It's just not worth it. I played against Sisters. I played against Custodies in game three. Uh, and then game four and five, I got the pleasure of playing against 13 Armager Imperial Knights and uh, like the Australian Necrons list while I'm playing my Australian Gene Circle list, which I scored a 97 against, which felt real good. Uh, so I ended so up coming fifth and winning the second cut. So it was... You know, the, the people who all went 3-0 in their bracket or at the top of their bracket played the first cut and so on and so forth down the line. So there ended up being six pods and I won pod two. So I got a little, like, nice little medal for that and all that good stuff. So no complaints. It was all right. Uh, I'm really enjoying the list. I'm going to try it out in RTT this weekend. Uh, and I'm going to try and look at getting some G-Circle content on the go. I'm going to maybe try and get an episode with uh, Eric Latheris for behind the scenes. So keep an eye out for that if you are on the Patreon. So if people want to see that list and kind of know where it came from, that came from Eric Latheris's WTC list, right? Yep, just straight up Eric Latheris's WTC list. Uh, the Facebook link for the stream, I will see if I can dig it out and I will chuck it in the show notes on the YouTube video, uh, PJ. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have it to hand. Uh, and it's the, the link I have is just like a, a, an fb.me link, so it's not particularly memorable. So me just reading it out is going to do absolutely nothing for you guys, unfortunately. Uh, it is going up on the UKTC the UKTC YouTube page, and if Nathan wants to talk about his week, I will see if I can get like to that because that's actually going to be easier. Sure, I didn't really do too much. I was hosting family and in-laws all weekend who were visiting Chicago. Um, so there was all that, but I did get in at one game of 40k. So I've been playing Harlequins a little bit more recently. So I played Harlequins into a local friend's Necrons, which was interesting. Turns out going first against Necrons really helps you out with setting up some early board presence and then being able to uh dance six inches away from charges from Scorpex is quite handy when you dance right out of charge range on most of them. So that was good. So I won that game with just the Silent King left on the table for my opponent, essentially, which was kind of neat. Didn't really think that was how the game was going to go, but it ended up going that way. Also, I've discovered that I really, really, really hate Luck of the Laughing God from the bottom of my heart. The changes they made to it make it very unwieldy. Do you know, because, to see if you get rules this, this turn? Yeah. I mean, I rolled three dice every single turn because I figured, like, what the hell, as long as I'll, if I get three different results, I'll get three dice, and that's a good number to have because it allows you to do a bunch of extra stuff. But most of the time, you probably only want to roll two dice if you actually want to get the rule to work, but I... But you did play Light Harlequins, who are definitely not a dead leg. So um, no, in the chat, Curie has done a wonderful thing. I posted a link to the Facebook page. And then the fb.watch link is a direct link to the, the videos. I believe if you also go on YouTube, it is Warhammer-Tournaments. Uh, but the, the videos will be uploaded there, but they're not there yet. Uh, I think they're still being processed. Uh, it was good, though. Um, it was nice to be on stream at a UKTC event. And it was a confirmation that there's going to be stream at LGT, which I think is something that everybody will be very happy to hear. Uh, and it's just, I think it's just player mics as well, which is um, definitely a choice that they've made. Uh, it keeps even cheerful for them, um, but we'll find, we'll see what happens in the day. Well, everybody complains that they don't have player mics all the time on American exactly. streams. And personally, 
I think you want that buffer between the stream and the actual participants. Dude, I can't not swear when I play 40k. I don't know how to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been told that I now swear more now that I've played 40k and been in the podcasting and also in voice chat and in person and events more. I actually swear more than I did before, which I didn't think was possible. Um, and so I hope that I never have to be on stream at an event because I do curse a lot. Probably not the best habit to have. Probably scares some of my opponents when there's just a tattooed guy with a beard yelling. Yeah, swearing around old people and having them all look at you is one of life's great pleasures. So, I mean, fair. I guess we can transition. I might have problems. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it, but since you said it, yeah, Ennis, maybe we should talk about that. We'll talk about that after the Rings of Power chat we have later where we can talk about how representation is good in fantasy i bet i bet that can be a thing we can talk about we definitely shouldn't touch on that because it's just Aww. a good thing and it shouldn't require discussion uh, i mean that's true it is just the truth of the matter is that if, if it's the black dwarves that break your immersion you have different problems in a series that has dragons yeah. magic more, more importantly did you see how absolutely <laughs> ruined that eagle got in the intro by the fell by the fell beasts <laughs> Actually, I saw the eagle. I was like, oh, damn, an eagle. And then it died immediately. And I was like, oh, shit, that eagle. <laughs> well, why did they just ride the eagles to Mordor? That's why, buddy. That's why. I feel like, so there's been a couple different series, both the this series and then also the newest uh, Siege of Terra book, where they've directly addressed community memes. And if you do read Echoes of Eternity, you'll you'll know the chapter when you get to it. And I think... Both of them are equally both funny, but also kind of nice tongue-in-cheek moments where the community kind of gets kicked in the face. Yeah, last Horus Heresy book I read was like, no, no fear. So I'm real out of that series. You should just read Siege of Terra. And the series after the first book gets a lot better. The first book is kind of slow because it's mostly like space warfare stuff. And space warfare in 40k is more like naval warfare than it is like space warfare. Neither here nor there. Uh, so stats, I suppose, because nobody wants to hear me talk about Siege Terror books. Although they are really good, and Echoes of Eternity made me feel very sad. A lot. But don't you just feel sad all the time because you look at the stats? I'm enjoying I mean, the chat at the moment as well, just Cathal just slagging me right the F off. I mean, that's actually kind of novel. Usually it's the reverse. You're slagging chat off instead of Speaking chat slagging of, you. Let's do, let's do uh, a little thing at the start. Um, all of our thoughts from the statue community go out to Aaron Buckley, who is currently uh, in hospital with some um, difficulties. Uh, we're all hoping he pulls through, but uh, he's in a rough place at the moment and we'll hope that he does well. Aaron's one of the Northern Irish guys for WC. He's uh, been at a few events. Um, it was his first year this year. He was all super excited to do it. We're all super glad to meet him and uh, yeah, we're all rooting for you, Aaron. Good luck, buddy. Good luck, man. So we'll take five seconds and then I'll transition into stats so we can just think. Pain. Uh. Yeah. All right. Now we can go into this week's stats. So there were, oh gosh, how many events this week? A number of events this week. Oh, it's really too many. There was too like many. four in the UK. That's terrifying. The UK should not have this many events. I think it actually ended up not being that many events. I think it was seven to nine events across the entirety that we track for five plus round 25 plus person events. Um, but this week we, I guess I could count one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight. It looks like eight or nine. That's okay. But this week's 
top performing faction is, as every week, just still Tyranids. <laughs> uh, with 15 top 10s, 4 top 4s, and 1 GT win. Uh, the surprise of this week is actually the second place faction. So second place this week goes to Chaos Space Marines, who got 10 top 10s, 5 top 4s, and won 2 GTs. And then we have Necrons in third with 10 top 10s, 4 top 4s, and 1 GT win. And then close behind them are Craft Worlds and Eldar. Which was Nova, by the way, just for anybody who's yeah, It was just Nova for Necrons, yes. Um, Craft World Eldar didn't win any GTs, but took 8 top 10s and 2 top 4s. And then Marines took 7 top 10s, 4 top 4s, and then won an event. Otherwise, we had Sisters winning an event, Tau winning an event, and Harlequins winning two events to cap out the week. Yeah, it's good to see Chaos Space Marines start to get that representation. I know uh, Vic VJ from the UK swapped over to them, played Emperor's Children to win at Battlefield Birmingham this weekend. Uh, we saw Jack Harpster win Nova, dropping what, 10 points in nine games, 10 battle points. Uh, he scored two 97s and 96 and six 100s. Yeah, Chaos Space Marines have been doing real good. They've actually basically gone up in win rate every single week since the Codex release. And they're now at a 54.9% win rate for the last weekend. Do you think it's just because people have stopped running Harkin? I think it's because people have stopped listening to Art of War's Chaos Space Marine unit tier list and started to play the good things in the book. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, don't know, I might be wrong. Uh, otherwise, Harlequins continue to just win at above 60%, winning 65.3% over the weekend. Totally dead faction. Don't even bother using them anymore. So I promise. No. They only no, have, like, three players. They're just all really good, right? It's actually part of it. Uh, they have, like, 2.6% for meta representation. So they're actually... They've gone down in meta rep in, over the last few weeks. One in 33 players. One in yep. 36 players. Yeah, it's not a lot. Which, it does mean that their overrep is a little bit out of whack from the rest of the field for the week. The meta is actually looking really healthy overall right now. Harlequins are the only faction from this week that are over, that are above a 1.5, and they're at a... 2.14 and part of that is just because of their low representation meaning that if they got more than two placements this weekend which they did in the top four that converted into gt wins they were going to be really high representation in the top four um otherwise chaos space marines are the next highest faction at one or no they're not imperial knights are but 1.48 for chaos space marines 1.6 for imperial knights and then 1.54 for adeptus all very solid factions. Yeah, but nothing else really is striking me as completely out of whack at the moment. The balance for Nephilim at this point is actually really good. And I put all of the overrep data from the entire time period that we've been tracking for Nephilim together. And there are actually only two factions above a 1.5 when we look at everything since July 24th. Uh, and I mean, those are Harlequins and Tyranids. <laughs> Are the Who are just dead factions, factions. so yeah, they, totally deserve, they deserve to have a, a little bit higher overrep because they're completely dead and unplayable factions that you shouldn't worry oh, about. Oh, definitely. So they're the only two factions who are over a 1.5 overrep, so they're really the only two factions that I would think need kind of any adjustment whatsoever. No, I'm just I kidding. wonder if yeah, nine episodes in we should clarify that when we say a faction's dead, we're, we're lying. Um, I just want to make sure that that's known. <laughs> if you if you got nine episodes and you've not figured that when we say Terrans and Harlequins are dead, we don't, we don't mean it. it we, we quite understand. I know that well, as a, as a Tyranids and Tyranids and, Harle Tyranids and Harlequins player, um, it might seem like we're being biased. No, no we understand. We really yeah, do. It's, I just it's actually, know that. For the Harlequins, just to explain it, is because immediately after the Harlequins nerfs in the data slate, 
Harlequin meta representation dropped like a rock. So once they couldn't spam nine Void Weavers anymore, uh, Harlequins dropped by about half. Their meta representation dropped. They went from like 13%, right? Well, they went from 13 and then they went down to like nine and then they went down to like three. (laughs) So suddenly every airbrushed, uh, airbrush stenciled Harlequin's army disappeared from tables really fast. And yeah, don't convert them to 50 millimeter bases and call the Terran a warrior. But... It's true. <laughs> so that's really the meta recap. The meta is doing really well until probably the end of September, which is when everything changes because well, we're all going to be sad. We talk about Terranids, Necrons, uh, Harlequins a little more. So sure. what are we looking at long term? So do you have like since the Codex drop for Terranids? Do you want win rate or do you want... Win rate, yeah. Sure. So if we pull up the meta dashboard, we can track win rates. Some summated win rates over time. So this would be at www.stat-check.com backslash the meta or the dash the meta. The, the dash meta, yeah. That's not complicated at all. Yep, I know. If you just go to www.stat-check.com, you can click on the little link at top that goes to the meta dashboard. Can I, can I check that? How old are you? Oh, God, I'm 36. Why? Why do you still say WWW at the start of websites? Because I'm old, Ennis. <laughs> like, I'm actually only like, 35. I even got my age wrong. That's how exactly. old I am. Like, come on, man. There's not like, you're not clicking on a WWW2 website. Like, we're not a pirate stream. It's fine. Ennis. You can just say statcheck.com or statlightcheck.com. I'm old enough that I was when the, I was around and using the internet when it was AOL 1.1. Leave me alone. Yeah. You're lucky it, I don't uh, say HTTPS. Uh, well, it would have been HTTP HTTP because it wouldn't have been secure yet. Um, have you not realized that just saying World Wide Web is faster than WWW yet? No, I haven't. Are, are you are you telling me that it would be faster if I said World Wide Web? Yeah, it is. It's three yeah. syllables instead of nine. Do you know how many people would write worldwidewebstatdeckcheck.com though? I am almost Innes, tempted I to a... check and see. I'm almost tempted to check and see if that would work. So Innis, there's this old. Not old, but there's a story about why they design trash cans in uh, Yellowstone National Park the way they do. Um, and they design them in such a way that the dumbest person but the smartest bear can get into them because there's significant overlap between the dumbest people and the smartest bears. Okay, it, typing worldwideweb.statcheck.com does not work. You have you okay. do have to type www. I am almost kind of disappointed that that's not a thing that... Anyway, um, so that's kind of like how designing all Necron. Back. That's like how designing <laughs> Necron armies works. We were going to talk about Tyranids first. I know we were. Right. So Tyranids started out uh, when we started tracking the data for Nephilim at about a sixty-seven percent win rate. They've actually gone down to fifty-seven percent at this point as a summed win rate across all weeks of Nephilim. So they've gone down quite a bit. We're, they're actually trending towards the balance range that we look for, which is forty-five to fifty-five. What but was their peak in Nephilim? Do we have that? I think they're peaking knock. Well, I can pull it up. Yeah. Knock one post codex, not, not including Crusher. All right. Quarter two plus data slate. Uh, 66%. Let's add knights. Why not? Fun. 67% is the peak. So, yeah, their, their peak in knock was about the same as their peak in Nephilim, but they've been slowly declining. Yep. I say declining in, in win rate. Like their overrepresentation and their GT win rate percentage is still insanely high. But yep. overall, Territory players, the weaker ones are losing more games now than they used to be, is kind of what I take from that. Yeah. So, I mean, There's a lot of very good territory players, and then the average territory players are 
moving on or losing more uh, as armies like Sisters, Necrons come up? I think a lot of players have started to shuffle over to Necrons as well. Um, and a fair number of players I know already talking about shifting over to Votan now that that book's been announced. I mean, I've been playing well. Votan my whole life, so... Yeah, ever since second edition, right? When those metal yeah. minis were out. Which... I've been playing Votan longer than I've been alive, man. I was born exactly. with a Votan player. You, you were born with two of those bikers, one in each fist? Yeah, I got uh, two of my own personal little cog angels. Cog <laughs> angels. <laughs> and so I think what we're really seeing, though, with Tyrion is we're still seeing like a really big lean into Leviathan still, essentially. I mean, Leviathan is essentially, I think, carrying that faction to victory mostly. <laughs> It's, uh, it's the only self-action. There aren't other ones. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, they've got a 61% win rate with Leviathan. Uh, Behemoth's at 58, but only 130 games played. And then Kraken is the second highest. 202 games played with 54%. And just so everybody can know, Leviathan is at 1,202 games played, so that you can know what kind of dominance you're seeing from the Leviathan so self-action. more than 10 times, like almost well, like eight times as represented as Behemoth. Yeah, roughly six six to seven times, somewhere in there. Eight times better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that math. That's my favorite math so far. Tune in for every week where you can see this kind of math done on the fly. Okay, let's do Necrons, because this kind of stat stuff is a little easier to talk about uh, when Anthony's not here and glazing over. Um, what That's are true. Necrons looking at for first round loss? Like, Do we track, do we track that? Uh, we don't have first round loss on here, but I can tell you that you, you, next... do, you do track it, right? I'm pretty we sure we do track it. We do. Um, but when we have for Necrons, is actually they started at a forty-one percent win rate when we started Nephilim. I will look in the master file, Jeremy. Hell yeah, that's the kind of thorns I want to hear. <laughs> so the and reason that... I'm asking Nathan to talk about first round uh, to talk about first round loss data is because <laughs> if you take the average Necrons list and you remove the people that lose the first round because they're either Generally, you know, not very good at Necrons. They're just picking up the faction, not playing, not playing as good a build, and they lose to an optimized list. If you start looking, if you remove that, and then you look at like what percentage of the rest of them go into top ten, top four, and they're over it from that, that tells us like what the good Necron players are doing a little better. As Nathan looks confused as he opens files, average first round loss for Necrons is two, uh, is round two, but that's not going to help us real quick. I'm actually not sure which tab this is good. It's cool. I just I just straight dropped this on him with no warning. So you did. Fine. I wasn't prepared in the least. I hadn't looked at our twenty tab, our twenty tab uh, master file of stats recently. Looking for first round, I will say what we've seen so far is that forty one percent to fifty five percent win rate. So we've seen an increase of fourteen percent in pure win rate. And then if you want to break it down by veteran versus casual, which is a good measure. Uh, veteran players, which are players who have been to at least one or more GTs, have a 59% win rate, whereas casual players, those are players who are relatively new to the game and ha don't have GT-level experience, have a 47% win rate, which is a 12% differential in win rate from veteran to casual. Yeah. So good Necron lists do a lot better than bad Necron lists. You have to really optimize a Necron list to get to get a lot out of it. But once you do, they're very powerful, as we see from their very good win rates um, and their very good uh, representation rates. They're hitting uh, our overall stats have them at a 1.39 over-representation uh, mm -hmm. with a 16.4% GT win rate. So they're winning one in six GTs. 
uh, with a smaller player base than Terranids, who are winning it by 20% uh, over the past, since Nephilim since, uh, began. I will say that Tyranids have started to fall off a little bit in total meta representation, just a little, but not a lot. Yeah. So they're at 8.9, so they've hovered around 8 to 9%, and Necrons are starting to hover around 10%. We're actually starting to see a lot of Necron players, kind of who were always Necron players. Maybe that's because mm -hmm. of the Indominus box. Maybe, just maybe. Yeah, that's definitely a thing that you could see. But yeah, overall, Necrons are also almost exclusively relentlessly expansionist and Eternal Conquerors, which is the six-inch pregame move and obsec and double obsec on everything, or double obsec on obsec models and obsec on everything. There, there aren't other things that you can do, right? I'm pretty sure that's just... I mean, I'm sure there are, but it's like 1,660 games played with that, and then the next biggest is 98 games played with Novak. Yeah, Novak is like the one that James from Goonhammer Snowflakes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he has played all 98 of those games. It's just him. <laughs> and then it's like, is is it Nilak or Nefrak that gets the object after that? I think it's. I feel like it's. I think Nilak oh, is the one. That sounds like a thing that definitely. There's, is there's definitely another one that you can play. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, Necrons, Necrons are real interesting, are we? Because I definitely, they feel super oppressive when they go first and you're not playing. And you're playing whatever you're playing, and then if you're going, if they go second, there's just so many armies that can just kill them before they score. It's so, so weird. I don't like how they balance that book at all. No, the book is really weirdly balanced in that if the Necron player can expand out, they can score basically 15 secondary points on that first turn. And then oh, yeah, they're going to do that basically every turn as you try to chase them into oblivion. I don't think I've ever played a game where I haven't tabled the Necron player, but they have, have scored like 80 points every I've definitely had a, a couple, but a lot of the games with Necrons end with the, you tabling them and then winning, which I just don't think is an interesting design philosophy. At least so a lot of games as the Necron player feeling very samey. And I, I wish they would put, again, more power into the data sheets, take away the cord rerolls and just all the silly stuff, and just stop balancing armies using secondaries. Like, Balancing. So I mean, so at this point, I do think that Necrons are essentially four secondaries in a trench coat. and that's They're four secondaries and the Silent King in a trench coat. Sorry. Silent King and Destroyers. I think they, they have like a very solid 700-point army, and then you score with the rest of it. Yep. I think the only units that are memorable from that army are essentially the Silent King and Scorbeck Destroyers. I'm sure a lot of people also like Locust Destroyers because Locusts are actually quite good as well. Um, yeah, I, I prefer Locust to Scorbecks and I prefer Wraiths to Scorbecks as well, personally. But, which I definitely I called on the show and then Liam went and fucking ran them at WDC and smashed everybody with them. So yeah, Wraiths so Wraith over Scorbecks, guys. You fall back and charge, they're so much better. Well, then Harpster ran essentially what is amounted to like a scarab screening yeah, army. He did that in the US, so it barely counts. It's okay. I accept it. Fifth Probably best. True. Couldn't They're not even like top three countries in the world right now. I mean, that's also like, true. <laughs> like, well, like, I don't know, man. I put more weight on the French, but on the, uh, the Polish matter than I do on the American oh, That's matter. rude. I mean, true, but rude. <laughs> All right, do we want to talk about Sisters next? Another faction that's essentially four four, four secondaries and three, then a couple secondaries. Don't, don't pretend that their kill one okay. exists. It's, it's three secondaries and then a couple of models stapled together in a trench coat. Um, so I'll pull up Sisters data real quick as I remember how to use my freaking Do you know what I find real weird about Sisters? I feel like they've all gaslit themselves into running Paragons. 
or they win games. Like, those are the only real... The, there's two types of sister players. The ones that are still running, the ones that are trying to make Paragon's work, and the ones that are going 4-0, 4-1, and 5-0. Uh, it's so odd. I don't get it at all. So sisters are actually an interesting faction because they've seen kind of a rise and fall across the course of Nephilim. And I think it's actually because sisters are an army that can be more adapted into because of the way that the army plays. But you see sisters starting out in Nephilim at about a 58%. They go up to 62%. And then the, over the last few weeks, they've actually dropped. And now they're at around a 55%. So a net minus 3% across the course of Nephilim. Yeah, uh, for me, I, it just kind of feels like sisters are an army that you tech into by mistake by teching for Tyranids and um, Tyranids and Necrons. If you can kill Tyranids and Necrons, you can kill sisters. Uh, and you're already trying to play that pressure wave game of just kill them before they score, or in Tyranids' case, kill them before they kill you. Mm -hmm. um, so there isn't really a... They just kind of get caught in the crossfire of Necrons do what they do better. Um, they are still very, very powerful. They have a lot of really cool fight phase stuff. Um, they're still batting above 500, right? So that's mm -hmm. definitely a sign of power. But <laughs> yeah, they have some actually, they have some rougher matchups. I actually think Alex Taos has summed this up best. I wonder if this will all figure it out from Necrons, otherwise known as one sub-faction, one Supreme Commander, and four secondaries in a trench coat, to Sisters, otherwise known as one sub-faction, one Supreme Commander, and three secondaries in a trench coat. It's actually correct. You are correct, Alex. So that is actually the summary of the two factions. Yeah, Repetia are way better than the Scorpex. However, I need to, I need to make people aware of this, okay? Repentia are one of the best units in the game. There is a lot of space between one of the best combat units in the game and bad combat unit, where everything in the middle is still really good. <laughs> yeah, there's also a difference between a relatively good book with relatively solid data sheets with Repentia and stuff in it, although it's being supported by Bloody Rose as a subfaction versus Necrons, which is mostly bad data sheets having one really good combat unit in it in Scorpex Destroyers. Yeah, I, you support you when you're supporting Scorpex and Wraith, Scorpex and Wraith, you're doing it with like Scarabs. When you're supporting Repentia and uh, Zephyrim, you're doing it with Morven Vol and Celestine. It's just mm -hmm. different weight classes. Also, similar to Necrons, as we talked about before, it's basically all Bloody Rose. So Bloody Rose is almost 1,200 games, and then you have Argent Shroud as the next biggest one at 80. Um, and Argent it's Shroud like have 16 a, players total. Yeah, so it's 80 games across like a multiple weeks now versus 1200 sisters are still placing really well but it is basically one supplement holding that whole book up it's not even really the supplement it's just the data sheet it's just it's the flat yeah. plus one attacks a really good buff on stuff with two attacks and three attacks the ap boast is the other thing that you can get from it as well yes which is even more relevant in a in a post uh armor condemned world alex i repent you one of the best comics in the game which is one of the best units in the game i don't see how that that's an overlapping circle. Uh, <laughs> those pi those those are in fact just a Venn diagram with two circles that overlap. Yeah, best combat units in the game, best units in the game. If it's one of the best combat units in the game, it's going to be one of the best units in the game. I don't know how that's not obvious. And we can also, I guess, talk about a marine faction real quick, or we can talk about chaos space marines. Go with the one that fills your heart with the most joy. I mean, blood angels always fill my heart with. No, the we're most not talking joy. about blood angels. We can't talk about fine. Then we're going to go with the next option that fills my heart with joy. That's fine. I which is to Chaos away. Space to Marines. Sure. What I actually <laughs> wanted to do is take away the one that filled your heart with the most joy. Oh, You, would you should that. have seen that coming. I should have, but I walked right into it and said, 
Chaos Space Marines are actually my faction that's the favorite for stats tracking purposes because they're in the Imperial Fist Crimson Fist tier at the start of Nephilim and then are all the way at the other end of it at the point in Nephilim that we're at. Oh, now. In, the, in, the, in the top right, the top, no, uh, I have to do this the other way, in the top right quadrant of problem. Yeah, yeah so they, <laughs> they went basically from zero to villain is basically what happened. So and if you check out the new tabs on our the map page, you can even see that progression in real time on the tablet. So I guess I could actually just post this. I'll share my screen so everybody can kind of see this. Yeah, do it, do it. Let's look at the graph. Them. Let's look at the graph. If you are listening to us on a podcast right now, uh, I would recommend checking out statcheck.com slash the meta and then going on to the uh, <laughs> trending tab so you can see the progression of Chaos Space Marines. 0% win rate, five games played. So just one player back on the 4th of July. Um, this is the very start of Nephilim up to a 48% summed win rate just this last week. Which okay, is actually, so they're not actually going to get the problem territory. <laughs> they're not quite into problem territory, but their individual weak win rate has gone up every single week, which is starting to buoy the faction upwards. They are probably starting to plateau a little bit as they get into the sum, like in the summed win rate. So you'll probably Where see them get over Codex 50. release. I think July is the Codex release date, July 3rd ish. That doesn't sound right. It might have been. I don't remember anymore, Ennis. No, I mean neither. I'm just trying to think what WC cutoff was. Basically, so if the it same was as the same as Nephilim, then it is July third to twenty fourth, right, right? So I think early July, and then twenty fourth is our cutoff point because that's when it was fully in effect. Nephilim rules, right? Okay, so yeah, probably about there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we see it just kind of steadily increase. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with games played jumping from fifty six to two hundred and fifty. That that's the, that's the release weekend. That's yep. when they were first legal. So yeah. So the first week that they were legal, though, plan. we did see them not really played at all. But that was because of rules cutoffs more than anything else. Yeah. And then you see the the realized R of worst tier list was bad jump. Uh right on the weekend of the 14th to the 21st. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's when they all that's when they all got harkened from their lists and started mm-hmm. playing Empress Chosen and uh, Empress Children and um Creations of Bile. It's when everybody decided that they actually could be smart and play good things instead of being uh, snowflake chaos players who play only the things that they love most. Perfect. Although if do you do love, to... if you do love playing mutilators and you really want to make them work in your night lords list, you should definitely slide into Anthony's DMs and tell him how you're a long-standing night lords player who would love to have mutilators in their list. And make sure you start your email with "Hi Anthony." Uh, it's very important that you do it that way. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do the plug section and then we're going to move on to some more meta, more general discussions. And then we'll probably do a longer question and answer section this week just because I don't have Anthony to bounce off of with meta stuff. Uh, no offense to Nathan, but it's just not quite the same. <laughs> so we've Are done you a longer, saying we've done that a I'm not the same section. as a top 10, <laughs> top 10 player in the world? In I, I am, yeah. Uh, I am offended. I'm not saying it to be nasty. I'm saying it because I'm, I, want, I want to make sure we lead into specialists. Um, so... Thank you, everybody, for being with us. Uh, this is episode nine of Satchek. Uh, we are, again, we've been doing this for almost two and a half months now. It is outstanding the response we've been getting, and we're so super thankful for everybody for uh, being with us for this journey. If you would like to support the show, there are a number of ways you can do that, and we appreciate every single way, every single way that you do this. Uh, the, the first and easiest you can do is you can show us a like or a subscription on YouTube or whatever your podcast feature choice is. Uh, that really helps us out with discoverability, with making sure people know that we're out there and that people click on it and they see that other people are enjoying it and that, that makes them want to engage as well. If you have the time, drop us a comment on whatever your platform of choice is as well. That's also super helpful for us. Uh, we do our best to answer any comments that go down 
if we're not available to answer them at the time, we'll try to pass it on to somebody who is. And uh, yeah, we love interacting with all of you guys in whatever way, shape, or form. If you're in the YouTube chat or the Twitch chat, I believe we are now live streaming on Twitch. That's another great way to do it. If you have the resources available, uh, we would also really appreciate your support at patreon.com slash statcheck. That is where you'll get access to our Patreon Discord, where you can ask questions of the live stream, which we will do our best to answer every week. Uh, if you can't do that, then being on the live stream at the other time is the way that you can do that for free. So we try to give that option open to everybody because we really appreciate all of you guys and we want to make sure that we can get back to you in whatever way we can. So either the Patreon or live with us and you can ask us questions that we will do our best to answer. Um, yeah, you can also get access to some really cool stuff like the bonus content. So this week, Anthony is going to be releasing an interview with Stephen, who is an Alpha Legion player, uh, who's been doing really well in the United States. Uh, so we're going to be getting a look at a different way of playing Chaos Space Marines. Uh, we should be having some interviews coming out, some prep for LGT. We're going to be doing our WC draft review this week. Um, so if you're interested in any of that or any of the previous bonus content, you can get access to that through the Patreon as well. We also have a whole big channel that's just us talking about bonus content that we're working on. So, and bonus content that we're proposing that you guys all get to vote on what you would actually like to see. Um, there will probably be a hobby stream live for patrons exclusively on the Discord, along with other content as well. And I'm looking at setting up a play video games with us once a month kind of thing as well, just to have mm -hmm. a bit of a chance to actually do that because I don't play enough video games at the moment. I have massively fallen out of it and I enjoy doing it because of the social side of things. But uh, I stopped playing with like my group of friends I played League of Legends with a bunch of a long time ago. And since then, it's just not been a thing I do and I miss it. So we're going to try and do a bit of that because it's good fun. Just, you know, chilling and shooting the shooting the breeze with a couple of drinks on a friday night or whatever so we're going to be looking at doing that uh if you can't support us with that way in that way don't worry about it we really appreciate everything you do for us anyway and thank you for being with us as we continue doing what we do that'll probably do that that that'll seems be. right yeah that's good yeah, yeah. i didn't forget any of the links this time because i just didn't say them um <laughs> do we want to since it's the title of the episode briefly talk about votan stuff we that can talk was, about that just was the some... idea yeah okay all right let's do it let's talk cool. about the give meta the, being give us, give us the lowdown nathan what's the, what's your cliff's notes <sighs> everything is terrible is what the cliff's notes are i mean so what would you what would happen if you gave a whole army armor of contempt essentially but not you can't re-roll wound rolls against them you gave them a bunch of weapons called beam weapons that draw lines like templates and can hit units multiple times, including units in between them, and cause mortal wounds. What if also you could auto-wound things using judgment tokens that never fall off of units, and it's a six up to auto-wound counting as a six to wound with one judgment token on a five up counting as a six to wound with two judgment tokens, or a four up out of wounding and counting as a six with three judgment wow, tokens. Those are really powerful. I bet they're quite hard to get on units. Oh man. If only it was hard to get them on units. You can get at least one from a call. There are stratagems to get more. Uh if they do actions, they get a token on them. If they kill a character, they get a token on them. If uh, they kill no, units. Unit, no, yeah, just you know. Well, you get more if it's a character, I believe. Oh, it's you like get more two if it's or three. Right, okay. Yes. Happy Grunt in the chat. Dwarfs are hard oh, yeah. mistake. It's yeah. true. Oh, yeah. And if they dare to hold an objective. They also get a judgment token. Yeah, you get so, to pick an enemy unit with an, that's on an objective and get a token on it. Once my best summary of Votan is, what if you took the special rules from essentially every other faction, slapped them into one faction, and also made them better? Yeah. Is basically so, what, at the other end, you get is Votan. 
the thing that the thing that confused me the most is when I was reading their data, their chapter trade. So they've got five league. They're called league customs, and the one that's comfortably like the fourth best is just better bloody rose. Mm -hmm. uh, it's plus one attack and plus one strength on the charge instead of plus one AP. It's just better bloody rose. Um, yeah, it's like not as good as the other ones. Not as good as some of the customs. And their best one is very good, and it gives you an, an army wide invulnerable save depending on what their normal save is. So they're big, they're big trucks that they previewed the Moonlander looking things that have multiple beam weapons or Magna Rail rifle on them. Get a two up basic save with armor of contempt and no reroll wounds. And then in Ymir, they get a four up and vulnerable save. So you got a two up and a four up and vuln and you can't reroll wounds against them and they have armor of contempt. Yep. Yeah, their psychic discipline they have is literally a pixel mix of everyone's best stuff drawn at random would be better. Yeah, they got null zone, they got generate SCP, they've got a staff that lets you uh, do a psychic action. I'm pretty sure they've got like a plus one toughness power. Uh, they have they a plus do. one toughness chapter tactic. Like they just have so much stuff. Basically, the most the most worrying thing for me from this has been that every single time I've spoken to a top player about it, they've all thought something else was broken and they've all been smashing everybody they've looked at with it when they've been very testing it. And it's all different. So like the Dice Down guys were super high on uh, Great Arthurian League with Uthier and uh, some of the Polish guys I was speaking to were like, yeah, Magna Rails. And then the guys from like, Anthony, massively high on Peebles and Yumiya and Berserkers. And mm -hmm. every single one of them is troll just rolling everybody or not. it's not even close. It's ridiculous. Um, I mean, the Berserkers... entire book is insane. The Berserkers, I think the only thing in that book that isn't good are their secondaries, which are just kind of okay. No, the secondaries are really good, too. They're just kind of slow. They're not, like, score 100 points turn one secondaries. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, like, there's one where it's, like, every time you kill a unit with Judgment Tokens on you, get points. And then if they have units with Judgment Tokens alive at the end of the game, you lose points. But it's yep. not capped. So if you get 30 points from that secondary and then lose five at the end of the game, it doesn't matter. So. Like, sure. I actually didn't consider that it wasn't capped. So that actually is a problem. Yeah, it caps at 15 <laughs> oh, in that, no. like, you can't score more than 15 from it. But, like, the you can go well past it and then take the reductions afterwards. Well, I take it back. That secondary is not as bad as I thought it was. I made an oopsies. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't um, just stop when you hit 15 points and then you no, take no. reductions at the end. No, so they, they also got... My favorite rule that they gave them is they gave Magna Rails like, on a 6 to wound cause spillover damage with 2d3 plus 6 i think for damage on the big magna rail it's rifle something stupid that can like that. also be carried by infantry but does d3 plus 6 damage or something like that and to me there there are like several rules that immediately i think would need to be changed in order for this faction to be balanced one of them is that it essentially gave hail of doom to an army army wide on all of their weapons but better because it's more like enriched rounds and Hail of Doom had a baby. <laughs> and the tanks get it instead of just the, the small guns. Uh, okay, so it, yeah, it's 2d3 plus 6 damage over the heavy magma, heavy magma rail cannon on the Hecatomb Fortress. And then d3 plus 3 for the infantry magna rail. The yep. only bad thing about the magna rails is that their AP is not as good. As they're AP 4, they're not AP they're 6. They're still AP heads. 4, so if your opponent has Armor of Contempt, they might still have a save and cover. If you don't have it being shot at you from a vehicle or from an infantry unit that ignores light cover, both of which have upgrades that allow you to ignore light cover. 
Yeah. What I actually want to talk about with Votan is that I think people are underestimating beams, and then we'll move on because I don't think there's much we can about this because I've not actually put them on the table yet. I've seen people play them, but you know, their context is a thing. Um, Beam has been around in the game for a while. It's a weapon mechanic that exists on like Mortarian's pistol and a few other random places, and it's generally like kind of cool but a little overwhelming. Like you'll maybe remember it was Mortarian flies forward and then pops his pistol off at like you shoot the guy behind the guy you're going to charge. The difference is is that almost everything that has that kind of beam mechanic at the moment is a primary combat unit where it's not worth giving up positioning in order to set up beam plays or they're pretty short range, like 18 inch range pistols and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Where Mortarian, you're not going to make your charge too longer so you can set up a beam shot with this one strength 8 minus 3, 3 damage shot. It's just not worth it. You're, you're better taking the much more reliable charges because that's where Mortarian does his damage. The tanks can have 10 shots of that. You don't need to position them for combat. They just position purely for the beam rule, which means it's just like all the experience you have with playing against whatever kind of beams you have, whether it's from a Psyker or from Mortarian, like, you know, the Fury of the Emperor, Psychic Power for um, Adept for uh, Guard that no one's ever used in their life, uh, or Blood Lance for uh, Blood Angels. The, the, they're not the same context. You can't evaluate them in anything remotely the same way. Uh, and I've seen people talking about it that in that context. Not a lot of people, but it's something that's come up, and I don't know if something people are thinking about, is that, yeah, it's just more turn pistol mechanic, but it's that 10 times per tank. That's a lot of firepower. Even just hitting it up on, like, one or two units is a lot of damage output. And the, the issue I have with it is it's not priced as though it's going to hit two or three units. When you look at it on the data sheet, so your option is like you get the bolt cannon, which is two shots at 622, 36-inch range, or you can trade that out for two shots at 722 with an 18-inch range. If that was just a straight option that you had, pay five points for possible strength and, you know, you half your range, you probably wouldn't take it. Like it, But it, if it was a free alternative, you'd consider it. When it's a five-point upgrade that also gives you the potential of doubling or tripling your firepower output, it's not a comparison. They're just different weight classes of weapon. If it was, yep. you know, pay five points to make your gun heavy six, but you have to fire or to give you three heavy two guns, you take it every time. Um, and I think that's what people are disavowing here is that you will set beam up. It just will happen. Um, I think the, especially in uh, armies like Ymir with plus four range on beam. I think the other thing to talk about very briefly as well is the, so the stratagem support that beam's got. Ymir is also good because they have a stratagem to proc mortal wounds on beams. And then there's also another one that generates additional... I think it's additional hits. Every time, which is... so um, the Ymir stratagem is when something is hit by a beam, it takes a mortal wound, and then the, the beam on the tank can hit up to four times for two shots. Yep. If it shoots something over 1508, it gets hit twice, so then it would take four mortal wounds. Yep. And the other stratagem is Core Buster, I believe it's called, which is you mm -hmm. pick a target, and every time it's hit by a beam on a four plus, it takes a mortal wound to a cap of six. So it's kind of Wrath of Mars. But when you're talking about, like, ten beams that hit on freeze rolling or twos um, into a target... Uh, from one tank, you're very reliably with Ymir. You can deliver 10 mortal wounds to a hard target, plus all the line damage you do. And the other thing to remember is that beam, anything under the line is just hit. It doesn't, like, you don't make a hit roll against it like that. It's just hit, which means it bypasses any opportunity to use, like, defensive stratagems. So, like, if you have a minus one damage stratagem or transhuman stratagem, you don't get the opportunity to use it because you're never targeted. Um, so that's something to be very wary of as well. The other thing to... Like, the only thing that GW, I think, did think of is that those targets have to be valid targets for the beam. Yes. So you can't snipe characters with beams if they would normally not be able to be targeted by the tank. And you can't snipe obscured units if you normally couldn't shoot them. 
So you have to be able to have shot the unit in order for the beam to actually hit them. Well, and it's a real bad time, for example, to be completely unobscurable demons. Yeah. Yeah, you, you definitely are going to be real sad when that Bellacor, who is suddenly going to take 10 mortal wounds plus 10 beams, because even though they're minus one to hit, a lot of those are just going to auto-wound, and if somebody has a big target, they're going to focus three judgment tokens on you, and they're just going to auto-wound on yeah. a four. Or you're playing lots of squishy particle boats that all get lined up on because they all measure the base. There's so many things that can go wrong with this. I just don't think it's well-designed. No. Uh, I don't think this is the kind of thing army should have access to in bulk, unfortunately, uh, but they sure do, so we'll see where it goes. Um, maybe we're all wrong and they don't end up being a problem, but I just, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I this this book screams badly playtested to not playtested is what I, because immediately the reaction from every top-level player that I saw was, I'm switching to Votan, I'm running three trucks. <laughs> like, and maybe running 30 hearthkin berserkers or whatever they're that berserker data berserkers. sheet is so insane remember how we were talking about like Wild. repentia and there being a lot of space in worse repentia worse than repentia to be an insanely good unit hearthkin we found berserkers unit. Are, not, are not as good as repentia doesn't matter doesn't matter at all they're two points more than an intercessor and they have it and they have a thunder hammer i actually think on force to hit i think they're actually better than repentia because they've got a, they're a lot feel slower. no pain against damage one weapons. It's mostly that they're a lot slower. They're a lot slower. They, they don't have a native invulnerable save. Yes, they can go in the tanks, but they, they are genuinely as a unit very cumbersome. It just kind of doesn't matter because they're really cheap and everything else in the army supports them really well. But as a data sheet, I don't think they're stronger than Repentia. They Repentia. do also have native fight on death, don't they? Yes, they do. Okay. I mean, Repentia have that for uh, like C for QCP, so yeah. whatever. Why do the, the naked, naked dwarves, dwarves do get void yeah, armor? No, no idea. Really don't understand that. Well, we probably should just transition to questions or we'll just be depressed for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, we can do that anyway. Um, I mean, we can be depressed all the time regardless of the situation, but we can transition. Hey, how dare you out me like that? Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so patron gonna... to help fund Innes's, uh mental health care, yes. <laughs> don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that because i'm not going to get help uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was there's not enough help unfortunately but we may continue we've okay, got a lot of questions so actually this week we have if loads. you want to go through them and then in youtube if you want to ask questions we will also get to your questions in youtube or twitch chat because i also, know that we're also broadcasting to twitch now in case anybody hasn't noticed a very important reason to be in the to be in the discord is that i i do always try to make a meme to go with the the posting questions i'm going to see if this shows up well on camera it probably it, doesn't it doesn't but it is snow white and the seven dwarves and it says at the top fuck around and then on the next one it says find out and then at the bottom it says beg <laughs> that's that's basically basically dwarves um okay let's do questions why use many profiles when beam no idea uh, you should just use beam some of the hunter weapons are kind of interesting, but I don't think hunter does anything. Hunter is just a mechanic that means you can't advance and shoot them. Infantry can move and don't take the heavy weapon penalty, and tanks don't take the mass in combat. It's just no rule. Um, yeah, it's like there the isn't a no, no, there isn't a no, no rule no. weapon in the game. Well, Daka is just like rapid fire, but it's not exactly half shots mm -hmm. or double shots. It's really weird. It was weird that there was never a, that there's not a basic gun in the game. Um, but hey, it's what it is. Could things like Goth Rush build or Blood Angels tools quick enough to try and mitigate some Votan shooting? 
Yeah, but you're not going to mitigate the berserkers. If you can tag their vehicles, it does help because the beams can't shoot out of engagement range. They only shoot into engagement range and you don't get to draw lines. But the berserkers will come out and so you may like turn off their shooting for a turn. Like if you're Harlequins, you're probably going to charge their land. Via their, I can't even remember what they're called anymore. Their giant buggies with your little transport. The Hecaton Land Fortress. You're going to charge their Hecaton Land Fortresses with your Star Weavers to prevent them from shooting you with beam weapons all over the place. You just are going to because that's the only way that you're going to survive past turn two. Yeah. Very cool. And then if they have the Magna weapons, they'll just shoot you with that instead and one-shot you on a 4+. plus. Um, okay. Can Night Lords... Can Night Lords what? I, I don't know. Um, You're going to have to all, clarify, all, Jake, in Discord. All, can Night Lords... It, oh, I guess that was just to troll Anthony. It, it was. That that was the... Everybody who calls it a Hecachonk deserves Hellfire. <laughs> can Votan deal with Votan? Asks Innes of Anthony in our Discord chat. When we'll we ask never questions. know. Um, the answer is Sam that asked game a probably... question. Oh, actually, Sam asked a question last week that I said I was going to answer to an answer this week. Ooh. When you're practicing configuring your list, how do you balance testing your list for the upcoming events versus trialing out or stress testing to different unique units, high fleets and powers, etc.? So when you're practicing, how do you how do you balance getting what you've got now practiced versus making changes to it? I tend to go by the philosophy that you should make very small changes between matches if you're going to practice towards improving a list because a lot of people will make sweeping changes to their army and then you don't know which of like the five or six changes that you may have made at that point contribute to your change in success or lack thereof in the next match so honestly you should find like your base list and then tweak little things across practice matches not big things I'm going to go completely different on this one because I, I practice play this very differently to Nathan apparently. Uh, I like to take a core that I have and then just like drill down get into that so when I start with turn-ins I spent maybe like 10-15 games finding a core of a list that I liked which ended up being um, double tyrant and then like it's got his own tropes, it's got a tyrant guard like blah blah blah, all the really boring stuff. And then the other thousand points of the list I was just like every game I was like right let's try a different thousand points and a different 500 points and just kept cycling through things and then Pulling out the bits that performed like consistently across different builds, so that was how I ended up on like the Pyrovores, and then the Pyrovore pod came in because it supported them and the Harpies that I was running, and blah blah blah. And you just kind of kept iterating in different ways down the line. And while while I'm doing that, I'm building up the repetitions on the core of the list, which is the Hive Tyrant. How do I use her properly? How do I interact that with the Hive of the Harpies in this game? How do I make sure she interacts well with the the Tervigon I ran in the next game? And blah blah blah. And you just kind of drill down on the fundamentals of the faction while you're doing one thing. You find different strategies and different mechanics to work that way. And that's how you end up with a list that you can adapt over tournaments and metas. Um, because you know what you can plug in, what you can plug out, what works in into certain lists, what doesn't work into other ones. If you're just trying to focus on one tournament because it's the be-all and end-all, like WTC, just play a list. Just don't worry about it. Play one list, get real confident with it. If you're trying to build for a season, which is very different, um, yeah, try and... I, I like to work in modules, so like... This is a 300-point module that I can swap in. This is a 300-point module I can swap out if I don't like it for this one. So it was kind of like I had a straight swap of two tar two current effects, three squads of two squads of power wars, and a, and a drop pod was the same points as two harpies and a drop pod. So I would just swap 
those in and out depending on what I wanted uh, for the meta, and then I would make some small tweaks for like any new list that came out. And that's that's a that's a way to do it um, that I really enjoy. I think if you have more like the ability to do more practice reps that's the way to go like if you can do lots of practice i think your route is the correct route because you can practice lots of different chunks it so i think it just depends on perhaps how much practice time you have yeah absolutely. whether you do small changes because i make small changes because also i don't get as many practice games in as probably you or anthony do i mean i know that for certain that i don't um and i think if you guys have lots of practice reps then you can make those larger module changes and you can track those better over time. Yeah, there's also another couple of things. If you're only going to play five games, just pick a list. Do not, you are going to get less out of making an incremental change halfway through. Like if you play two games of the list and then you swap and play three more games in another one, unless that change improves your win rate significantly because you found a fundamental flaw with the original list, you're just shuffling deck chairs. Just yep. get concentrate on what you're going to have to play. You do not have time to fix um you're going to you're going to need to fix play issues more than you're going to need to fix that and the I second one is just steal things genuinely people in 40k are so fucking hung up on looking original being original making clever decisions do you know what, do you know what works just as well the surprise is not an element for you people do not look at your list and be like oh I, i've seen that play before people look at your list and go this does this or this does that nobody goes oh, this is brand new or this is oh my god this is that this blah 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 no one cares just just steal the list. It's genuinely fine. Um, no one gives a damn. Uh, if people give you shit for it, it's probably just because they're being funny. Um, don't worry about it. The element of surprise is fake anyway. Just don't yeah, do it. Net, don't worry about netlisting. Netlisting shouldn't be a pejorative. Just use what works and then figure out how to make it work for you. Like it's different if you like don't have the models for a list or if maybe you just want to make a change to it because you like a unit than to just not do it at all. Yeah. And at but the end like, of the day... Unless you have the next Proviathan, just, 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 you don't need yeah. to hide lists. You don't need to hide tactics. You don't need to hide strategies. And netlisting is another thing on that line. Um, yep. Just copy things. We do have another question for tormenting Anthony. That's fine. Anthony's being tormented by his migraines, so... It's true. I'm trying to get through this chat to figure out where there are actual Yeah, questions. every question that's like for Anthony, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to leave that. Uh, I'm just going to leave that. I'm just going to leave that. Can Shuhi or Wait Afar Orcs exist in current 40k or are they missing something key like the industrial weapons boost GSC gets? I'd argue GSC are missing something key as well. Uh, staying power on units that aren't bikes. But that's <laughs> here or there. Uh, I think GSC just kind of, or Orcs just kind of, I don't know, man. I feel like they just kind of need a, a better morale mechanic for infantry squads because um, the mechanic they have at the moment of just ignore combat attrition just isn't really good enough they're, they're one of those other armies that just needs a point drop on a board like one point on boys and a better morale mechanic and i think orcs would be in a better place i don't know if they'd be in a great place still they have some pretty good secondaries get to the good bits is insane very very easy to score uh, i did not realize that you could do that on the same objective five times with a squad across for five for 15 points <laughs> uh, that's real good um yeah, orcs have good sec have like a couple of good secondaries and just not as many good data sheets as they need to make it work. Yeah, and a lot of orc stratagems just should be one point less. Hundred percent. Is it a good idea to use faction secondaries as another balancing knob to adjust? Yes. No, I think it's a terrible idea. I think the I don't think faction secondaries should be a thing in match play. To be honest, I think I mean, every army should be scoring the same way 
and then you should the, the, the army's difference is go out of there it's another balancing knob but that what that actually means is it's another thing that's starting to 11 that has absolutely no controls on it i agree that it's actually probably more of a problem in like the way that games workshop balances the game and that they're kind of slow to adjust things so you'll end up with factions who have all of the good secondaries like necrons currently do but their data sheets are suffering which is obscuring the problem that their data sheets are bad but their performance is good because their secondaries are ranked to 11. Like, yes, you can technically say that making um, Treasures of the Aeons, which is the your opponent picks three objectives, you get points for holding them at the end of your turn, making that a No Mercy, No Respite, which is the Grind and Down and No Prisoners category secondary, is technically a balancing decision. Uh, I would call it outright a mistake instead. Um, but yes, that is technically a balance. You could, theoretically, you could give Terranids uh, to the last and an exact copy of to the last in in sight in warcraft and that would be a balancing decision that doesn't mean it's what i think is a good way to approach balance and i think what they've done is more that they've given necrons two battlefields of primacy secondaries uh i realize that saying you know get there is two to the last is an extreme example of that but i don't think giving necrons stranglehold and um her and her third brain birth is you know i don't think it's any different so no. I also think that Alex has continued our trench coat analogy correctly for orcs. Orcs have only one good secondary and okay supreme commander and three to four sub factions, which is a suboptimal trench coat form factor. Not enough things to fill out a trench coat, unfortunately. Just yeah, they've enough. got like the sub factions at the feet. You only really need two. Um... All right, where do we go next? <laughs> Will you be attending any events post LOV release with anything other than LOV? Let's see how much my LVO flights are. <laughs> I'm not going to play League of Votan, even though I really wanted to initially. And part of it is that it's not that I want to be special and not play the broken faction, but part of it is that the faction is so broken that it takes all my enjoyment out of it because there's no way to express anything other than I fire 10 beams at your army from three different Hecachonks and all of your army dies. Well, and Nathan's just really hoping that he can pick it up on the cheap once everybody who bandwagon sells. Once that first round of nerfs happen and League of Votan join Harlequins in the dumpster, I definitely won't be buying all the Hecachonk land fortresses for 50% MSRP. Should definitely I paint my League of Votan in Deep Rock Galactic Colors, Moonbase Alpha Colors, or Planet Express Colors? Planet Teenage Express. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles colors. Planet Obviously. Express. Planet Express, and make sure you paint, paint your call up as uh, Professor Farnsworth. That's acceptable, too. <laughs> Since GW decided to end times 40k with uh, Leaks of Votan, what else do you want to add to increase the fuckness? Oh, can you repeat that question? I got distracted by Alex making the laugh in chat. Since GW decided to end times 40k with the Leaks of Votan, what else do you want to add to increase the fuckness? Crusher and Leviathan supplement. <laughs> yeah, why not? Just do it. Just I give up. Just do it. That that's a playtest game I'd have to watch. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, man, you got all these beams, but my three hive tyrants do not care. They cannot be shots. <laughs> and it's bad. Yeah. Cherry <laughs> 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 says, I actually Look, had a man. nightmare that the latest white dwarf had a crusher in it. Somebody recently was telling me they should undo the dark technomancer 
Kronos and Talos nerfs, and like a part of me died inside at the mention of it, but also a part of me was should... also thinking that it might not be such a bad thing in the I've current environment okay. anymore. You give, you give Talos and Kronos core back, and then you make the um, the Army of Renown work like the Advent one, where it doesn't get rid of your chapter trait, and you unnerf Dark Technomatches and Aris of Flesh. I mean, I got really excited because I have all that painted Drukari that I'd love to play paint engines again with. But oh, also, I way, got really sad at the same time. Manny's 179 Frax list from Unconquerable, which just casually has enough shoot, shooting to table tile armies with 35 also factors and 9 hex rifles, is a war crime that should not be permitted to be played at tournaments. Uh, and if you're playing Dark Eldar, you should probably just play that list. It's better than everything else you're doing. I would have to paint so many racks, and I don't want to do it. And you'd have to put also factors on 35 of them, yeah. But you know how the whole thing with, like, killing rack cord is you're like, okay, so I'm going to kill, like, 12 from each squad so they fill morale, and there's, like, another five guys from each squad, yeah? Okay, so mm -hmm. if you do that to this list, it doesn't lose a single gun. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So... It's what I what I'm really hearing is that Manny was so traumatized by his previous experiences that he's decided to make the list again, but more immune to morale. Yeah, he caught caught the core of the archon and put in enough shooting that he was just like killing knights with it with his poison two poison strength two weapons, downing knight oh. downing like an armagerat turn with guns in a rock army. Definitely, <sighs> definitely doable. Yeah, they're strength two, AP three, damage two, poison two plus. They hit on three ruling ones, and there's thirty five of them. Yeah, you just have to pop the poison strat one one time on one of those units to really start hammering away at stuff. You don't even have to do that, man. I mean, if you want to wound them on twos, you do. Oh, the knights. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, what are some of the nuances of deployment to keep in mind, like terrain, matchups, and mission, etc.? What are some other mission-related decisions should someone keep in mind when wanting to go from a fine player to a good player? I understand that these are broadly open-ended questions, but any advice is better than none since I'm not terribly great at these. Do you want to go with your first thoughts on that one, and then I'll try and do mine? I think it's hard to break down the nuances of deployment in all situations because that's like a that's like a podcast episode in and of itself. Like each of those things is a podcast episode. With Anthony and Innes talking about it more so than me. But for me, like, every single mission, I think about my deployment differently. And into every faction, I think about my deployment differently. Because some opponents want to come towards you. And some opponents don't want to come towards you. Some opponents you need to deploy very aggressively against. Like, Necrons you probably want to deploy more aggressively against. Because you need to push out really fast to take them off of objectives but if you do that into other armies like blood angels if you deploy aggressively into blood angels with some armies blood angels will just take your whole day and ruin it by coming across the field and murdering you in the first turn if you're not careful okay. and that changes depending on the army you're playing too because some armies like harlequins you need to spread out really quickly and some armies you you're not wanting to want to do that okay i'm gonna try and do my my super super high level approach to this like not like high level in terms of gameplay but like the very cliff notesiest cliff notes of how i approach deployment and um like the first turn of the game if you think about like a network or a nodes where every objective is connected to every other objective right if you imagine any three objectives there's a triangle connecting them okay 
Um, so you might have like, if you're playing like secure missing artifacts where there's like one in the middle and then one in each of the four quarters, there will be triangles of the board. So you can either play like the bottom triangle, the top right, the right triangle, the left triangle, the top triangle. The player who goes first will have a preference on which triangle they want the game to be played in. The player who goes second will have a preference on which triangle they want to play the game in. Um, or each player will have a preference. The player who goes first usually dictates which of those three triangles or of which of the important ones is the one where most of the game is played. So if, a lot of the time it'll be, you know, your home objective and the, the two objectives you can reach comfortably with threat range. Sometimes it'll be the, th the objective in your course deployment zone that you're going to go and take off them uh, because you have to be denying them primary because you're playing a list that doesn't have good secondaries. Whatever, that is where the game is going to be played. When I look at deploying, I try to look at where my opponent's pressure like which of those areas of the board they want to look at and which ones i want to look at and then try to put your most your slowest stuff the stuff with the slowest response times with the easiest response to both the stuff with the fastest response times with response to one of them and then the other and then so that they can you know spend one turn moving and then one turn being active there and then your slow stuff so that's your you know your avidon goes as close to both as possible so that he is always threatening and always active then you have to add in considerations like, you know, where can I deploy stuff safely? So, you know, if you're playing Bellacor, he's probably going to go behind a wall. If you're playing on like a Nova L, you're going to want to put him behind there. If that slows his response time a little bit, that's the price you pay for going first uh, or for um, for wanting to be safe. Then you bring in considerations like, if I do, I have a do I have a win plan if I go second here? If I go second and I just get uh, I just kind of get tailed anyway, at which point it's too late for Bellacor to do anything. At that point, deploy him on the line. Like, there's nothing, you're not losing anything. Though that's like the super high level of it is, is, Try to figure out where you need to play the board based on objectives, because that's where you're going to have to play the game. Try to figure out where your opponent wants to play the game and set up responses for if they get to dictate the flow. Put your units in priority based on how quickly they can get to where you need them to be based on both you and your opponent. So that's a little bit of game theory there. You have to make evaluations. That's going to be different from game to game and opponent to opponent. You're, sometimes your fast stuff needs to be very, very well positioned to pressure your game plan because your game plan is quicker than your opponent's. Sometimes you will just deploy on the line because you know that if you go set, if you go second, they can't respond to you because they're playing all melee bloody rows and they can't actually threaten you turn one. Whatever. There are so many permutations on this that it's it's very it's impossible to get the nuance conveyed. But that's the kind of the things. And then the last one is do I need to be safe? And if I don't need to be safe, how aggressive can I be? Yeah, I that's think for like me, the highest level I can go while still being vaguely useful, I think. That's amazing advice. Part of the problem for me is that I haven't learned how to take like the experience that I have and like turn it into like a system, like more of a systemized way of thinking. And that is like listening to you talk about it made a lot more sense. I always also deploy as if I'm going second, which maybe isn't the best way of doing things, but I always deploy as if I'm going second because most of the armies that I play don't have redeploy stratagems. If you have a redeploy stratagem, you can do all sorts of stupid shit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that that's another thing that you like the high level thing to consider. If you go sometimes your game plan is just if I go second, I'm going to lose this stuff. And that mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Like when I'm playing the Terranus with the Harpies, my game plan is when I'm playing an army that's going to kill my Harpies turn one, is that I deploy everything else as stupidly as possible to respond to them going for the Harpies so that I have a response to that because I know I'm going to lose them. How do I make that an advantage or how do I make that less of an issue? And that's yeah. kind of getting into it. Uh, Alex says power move is to choose three objectives to make a giant triangle that also clips the middle objective. If you're playing these Necrons, that's probably the triangle you're going to play. Uh, you're going to let them have their home objective, and you're going to try and kill them off of three objectives a turn and not let them score primary. That's what you're going to have to do. So yeah, that is that is a way you can uh, absolutely end up having to play the game. Um, there is almost ever you will sometimes play all five objectives or all six objectives. That is genuinely a thing you'll do some games because you just don't have another option. 
Uh, that generally happens. The, generally, the bigger the triangle that you are for, or the bigger the area of relevance for the game that you have to play in, um, the the weaker position you'll be in because your resources are stretched thinner. That's why stuff like when I was playing that German guard list I played a couple weeks ago, I had old one eye on the list because my list is not great. It doesn't have very fast response time. It's pretty slow. But old one eye can collapse a flank my opponent doesn't put enough resources on by himself. Yeah. Um, and so old one eye with a little bit of support, like you give him a squad of gaunt so he doesn't get shot. And he would play through intro points of I'm going to hold the bottom right objective in Vital Intelligence or in Salvage by myself. And anything that comes over there, I'm going to run between objectives, punch it and run away, and punch it and run away, and punch it and run away. And then you play the other three. You play the other three. Yeah. Um, sometimes your home objective is completely safe and you don't have to worry about it. Sometimes it's not. These are all very different reputations. Um, yeah, if you're playing against a Gene Stealer cult player, for example, you probably should always consider your home objective as just not safe. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I that that's definitely. You could drill into this for hours, and I think a YouTube video which has like got models on the table is probably going to be better for that. But um, that's kind of how I approach deployment and turn one. Sounds like a bonus content idea to me. Oh, it, it's so much work. Uh, we do so much effort. <laughs> that's like we're just we're just here to make it so innocent. About it. We're just never going to have Ennis sleep ever again as he puts models on tables and tries to go through every permutation of deployment for an army. I think me ignoring Jonathan's message is better than responding to it. Probably. But I technically have responded to it by ignoring it, so that should tell him what I said. Paul, I'm not live reacting to those images. Uh, and that's a joke. Okay, let's have a quick look through the YouTube comments. You have basically five seconds in order to get into the comments to ask us a, a question while we try to find questions. Yeah, so if you post a comment between now and like the next four minutes, I'll, we'll take a look at it. Otherwise, we'll be calling it after that. Um, but we're going, we're going over another five minutes. There really is just one question for you so far, which is how is the GSC bike list playing and is it fun, aggressive, etc.? There's another one actually. There's one about um, chaos between shooting. Which one do you want to talk about? I'll do their, well, they're next to each other. So this is really easy. How is the GSC bike list playing fun slash aggressive, etc.? So the GSC bike list that he's talking about is uh, Eric Lathers' WTC list that I played at the Uncomfortable Invitational this weekend. So broad strokes it is a is 24 bikes and six wolf quads along with a bunch of scoring and two big squads of mining laser uh sorry uh, seismic cannon neophytes uh and then character support no psychers um it is very very low to the ground it's a lot of stuff that um doesn't hide particularly well but has a very and has a very big footprint but you get a lot of redeploy shenanigans you get pre-game moves you get blips uh, all that good stuff so you have basically like infinite response time to whatever your opponent's doing um it plays from my experience, your secondaries are just better than literally everybody's, uh, including Necrons. Like, it was hilarious looking at my secondary game and being like, oh, I just score the points without doing anything. Necrons have to come to me, so Necrons are going to be the aggressive of this game. Um, and then just, I, I sort of, uh, my game against Necrons, I went first, pre-game moved my bikes to position to threaten him, and then he pre-game moved backwards, and I moved backwards again, because I was like, oh, he just has to come out, because he's going to have to score his machineries and call to combat, and I'm going to score Nachmund. It seems easier. <laughs> um, which was bizarre. It was a really, really weird way to uh, approach the game into Necros. Or like, I don't actually have to kill them. I did anyway, because the list is also cracked and amazing at shooting. Um, the list is super, super weird. It is not, not like anything I've ever played before, which definitely came with some difficulties in shooting it. Uh, the damage output is super, super weirdly consistent, but also inconsistent at the same time, where you will roll a lot of dice at people, uh, and you will generally get about the same amount of damage every time. The problem is that that amount of damage is 
very, very variable on a unit to unit basis in terms of like three up saves, two up saves, uh, being very stringy for it outside of specifically the seismic cannons, which are very low number of shots. So they are one point of that. Um, so it's a lot of over the course of all of your units, you'll get very good damage output, but where you can deliver that isn't always consistent. Um, so like across the three units of bikes, the two units of the two units of um, neophytes, you will do probably the same amount of damage to almost every army every turn. The problem will be is if you know you needed all that, you damaged beyond what on unit A, and only four units could get to unit A, and the, it was units you know five and six that high rolled, uh, and units one to two low rolled. Like that, that is very interesting to manage. Um, especially with as much mobility as you have because it means that your units can be your units can be everywhere which means you have to consider them being everywhere um which means that they will end up being everywhere which means your response time is really limited once you're on the board uh it's a super interesting list i would definitely recommend giving it a try if you're wanting to play gsc um it is not for the faint of heart you have to play so aggressively that it's confusing sometimes you're like dropping in um neophytes like three inches away like lined between your opponent's melee units like i sure hope i kill these <laughs> mm. um yeah not for the faint of heart i can't say i can't say i recommend it the second question about how you would make csm shooting other than blastmasters and the disco lord bale flamer not garbage because i think partially sometimes you just have to recognize that armies have strengths and weaknesses and you can't always try to take a square peg and ram it into a circle hole you can't yeah, like you like you can't make the, you could make the statement like how do you make tau shooting uh or how do you take make tau melee other than honor your gauntlet and the thermal projector uh not garbage it's not what they're about um no. and so sometimes it's better to just play the army to the strengths yeah. that are easiest to drive out of it like you could bring some havocs with las cannons in you take advantage of the strategy but i think otherwise for the most part, you benefit from playing to your army's easiest to access strengths instead of trying to force it to play in a way that it's perhaps not built to play. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't try and force it. Understand the army's strengths and weaknesses, and that they will wane with the time. Unfortunately, melee, having melee only damage output is a little bit weaker than having shooting only damage output, just because of the way that the uh, the phase works with um, all melee stuff being essentially predetermined at the start of the phase in terms of what you can target, whereas shooting has um, like new targets open up and shooting as you go, whereas that doesn't happen in melee, which just creates a different dynamic to it. Um, and obviously melee having like fail rates, like, you know, be happy to be in charge range and make charges and all this stuff. Um, but then you get a lot more mobility from charges. So, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Uh, you just have to, you're just gonna have to live with it, unfortunately. Um, you can lean into Forge World if they ever fix Let the Galaxy Burn to work with like Wolf and Decimators. I don't think they're terrible options. You can definitely use them. Emperor's Children have, Good shooting, you can play Blastmasters. Um, you said it right there. How do you make how do you make CSM shooting other than Blastmasters and the Discord Bell Flamer not garbage? You you don't. You use what you use the tools you have. Um you can bring in some agents of the Imperium stuff and you can ally in like some war dogs. Yeah, you can if run you really um war dog executioners are not a bad unit. Um they're definitely interesting. You now have soul grinders and uh Zinc flamers as an option as well. Uh, I realize mm -hmm. they're not case-based shooting, but they're tools that you have access to. Uh, a fate scheme, a fate schemer, a squad of blue horrors, and two squads of five uh, flamers, or like a five. I think you go like a five and a four fits in a patrol. You can slot that in for two CP into any army and get a decent amount of shooting, a little bit of psychic support. I don't think that's a terrible decision either. What? Okay, but what are space marine strengths? So this is going to depend on the army that you're trying to play. So sanguinary so guard and blood angels are a strength of a sub faction of marines. The Volkite Contemptor. Or that. Sanguinary Guard are our strength of the faction. 
has any of those bad takes on Fortan? Um, I don't know, but I wouldn't trust an American to know what a bad take was anyway. So <laughs> sorry, man. Our um, all the way we're full circle, right back to giving shit to America on the other end of it. I mean, I don't have and to give them. I don't have to give them shit. They just are shit. Oh, that's rude. Brutal. It's that's like, rude. come on, come on, man. Like, you don't, no, you don't... <laughs> tell me all the strengths. We Sorry, did. I don't <laughs> want to talk about the worst faction in the game. Sorry, Marine players. Not just from Some a stats cool. perspective. Uh, I honestly wouldn't be sad if 90% of the Space Marine stuff got yeeted into the sun, other than Blood Angels, because I like Blood Angels. What no man, I want to put I want to put white scars again. Like I miss I miss my possible. I would be much. okay with white scars. Two sub factions can stay; the rest are gone. <laughs> All right, we are going to end a little bit early this week. Uh, I think we are peered out on questions. Um, thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, in response to Alex, we will play the outro riff for the full ten seconds before we end the stream. If we come back for a brief second to the end of it, it's because we've not quite timed the button yet. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully we will see you all next week for episode 10, which is uh, a big number. That's a, a round number, which means it's important. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, if you didn't catch the spiel in the middle, I'll do the brief, the Cliff Notes versions of it again. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This has been episode 9. I've been Innes, and I've been joined by Nathan. Um, we thank and respect, love and respect all of you guys for being here. If you could drop us a like or a comment on YouTube, or if you have the means and you're willing to check us out on patreon.com statcheck, or youtube.com slash c slash stat check or our website at stat hyphen check.com uh yeah we would really appreciate that everybody thank you very much and uh, the balance data slate will not fix space marines it just won't uh, it will somehow increase government's points i don't know why but it will Bye bye <laughs>